if 98% of the time you're not doing what your customers want. So I kind of started this call with that, right? You got to have really good discipline about prioritization and communication. So people are clear about exactly what you're doing, why you're doing it and what they're going to get. Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. I'm your host, David Wright. The world of digital business is evolving faster than ever, and I want this to be a place where digital business champions create a village to band together and help each other navigate the ever-changing terrain. Disruptive Innovators features conversations with CIOs and digital leaders from around the world, diving into their personal backstory, career, their current role, trends they've been seeing, and their vision for the future, personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net. Good morning, everyone. David Wright here. I am your host of Disruptive Innovators, Champions of Digital Business. And this morning, I am joined by renowned CIO and author, Andy Lodato. Good morning, Andy. Hey, David. Great to see you. Yeah, you too, my friend. I'm, I'm really uh, thrilled to have you on. So, you know, to start, maybe you could just introduce yourself the folks that maybe don't don't know who you are, and maybe t- give us 60 seconds about you, your current role, and, and where you are right now. I am the chief operating officer at the Vitamin Shop. The Vitamin Shop is a global health and wellness retailer. We have over 700 stores in the United States. We have uh, franchises. We have partnerships internationally. And of course, we sell digitally on vitaminshop.com. As the chief operating officer, I see our digital, oversee our digital business, our supply chain, our technology all of our quality and commercialization efforts. Something I'm really passionate about as well is portfolio management, making sure we're working on the right things. No, that's great. And I want to start before we kind of get into your personal backstory. What's one piece of actionable advice you'll will look to give our listeners today? I kind of just talked about it. But one of the things I like to talk about is to stop starting and start finishing. Innovation without execution is just brainstorming. So really making sure that we all have millions of ideas, right? To whittle that down to the one thing you want to get done and then move forward and actually deliver so that you have something that's working and then move on. Just thinking of ideas is fun, but it's not going to put money in the bank. I love that. And that's something that when we're talking about what we do, that we translate strategic directives into executable action. So that resonates with me. And I'll look forward to diving a little deeper into that. But let's get into a little bit about your personal backstory. Where did you start and you know, how did you get here? Yeah, so I always say I was a nerd before it was cool. You know, it's kind of popular to be a nerd now, but back in the 80s, I moved to a new town and I thought I could make some friends by uh, playing football. A few weeks later, I found myself with a broken leg in a cast and I couldn't do anything. So um, 
I got my first computer, which was an Apple IIe. If someone's older, they'll know what that is. Younger people have no idea. But I was 16 years old and I uh, had one leg up on a stool and just taught myself about programming computers. And really, it's just been a passion of mine. Uh, I started my job as a mainframe programmer for the limited. But really, really early in my career, I had this aha moment where I flipped from being a technologist to being a business person that loved technology. And I was in my 20s when I had that moment. And there's a lot of reasons why. But now I always really think of myself as a business person first with a passion for technology, but using technology to solve business problems, not the other way around. And I love that. What's one of the things you wish you had known before you began your career? That's why I wrote my book. I actually like to say that I wrote my book to the 30-year-old me. And so there's probably a long list of things to know. But how important it is that everything we do is about people. And maybe it sounds cliche, but people get work done. People come up with ideas. People deliver. So really, any kind of leadership, but specifically technology leadership, is a people job. And it's a leadership job. So yes, you have to know tech. It's not one or the other. But really lead it with the people first is the key to success. I love that. Let's talk a little bit about your book, Fostering Innovation, How to Build an Amazing IT Team. There's so much I love about it. One of the quotes, don't let the failure discourage you and don't let the wins make you cocky. Remove emotions from your performance self-assessment. This isn't personal. It's business. You're not defined by your last project. I mean, it's funny because I mean... The book, and I'm, I'll let you talk a little bit more about it, was owed to CIOs. But as someone who has worked with hundreds of CIOs over the course of my career, it really resonated with me, too, because, I mean, working in, in IT is so challenging. And you do mention the good news is it's never been a better time to be an IT leader if you're, you're doing the right things. But, you know, it's hard. It's probably one of the most challenging uh, roles in the C-suite right now, I would say. but. Tell me a little bit about more about why you wrote the book. Yeah, let me tell you first why it's hard to be an IT leader. You know, I have this story in the book. A friend of mine, he ran a supply chain when I worked at Pier 1. And he was pretty frustrated with IT because he wasn't getting things done, right? He had a long backlog of work. And he said, you know, out in the warehouse, we get up in the morning and if we have 10,000 orders and we stay till we ship out 10,000 orders, right? We have 100%. And if we have 15,000 orders, then we're going to work through the night. And if we have 20,000, we're going to work all week, right? But we ultimately in the warehouse, we do 100% of the work that's asked of us. He goes, I'm lucky if you do one or two of the 100 things I ask of you, right? Because it's so easy to think of a, the idea, the report, the app, the feature. Ultimately, IT only delivers a very small fraction to their customers of what the customer asks for, a very small fraction. I would guess one or 2%. And so if you don't carefully manage that, communicate and make it clear to people, then 98% of the time, you're letting them down. So how can you feel like you're successful if 98% of the time, you're not doing what your customers want? So I kind of started this call with that, right? You got to have really good discipline about prioritization and communication so people are clear about exactly what you're doing, why you're doing it, and what they're going to get and what they're not going to get. I think that managing expectations is so huge. I mean, for us, it's huge. So that I really identify with that. So to your second question, David, about why I wrote the book, I mean, ultimately, you get to a point in your career I have where I really want to give back. And I'm so appreciative of the people I learned from. You know, I went off to the National Retail Federation and there was this group of CIOs in my industry. And, you know, when you're the CIO at a company, no one else in the company has your job. Nobody. 
you have no peer, right? You have executive peers, but they are they have their functions. You have the CEO, different viewpoint, you know. So there's really no one to talk with, share ideas, commiserate. And then, you know, I got to be in a room of people that all had the same job as me. And it was just so helpful and they were so welcoming. So I, I wanted to continue that and pay it forward and take things that I learned, good, bad, or ugly, you know, through experience and share that with others. And, and I really love that you say the book is, you know, spoke to you, even if you're not in CIO, because when I was pitching the book to publishers, you know, they want you to have your book a big enough audience that people will buy it but small enough that it's not generic, right? So I, I try to really walk that line. But I do make the comment that it's for anyone involved in technology. And, and today, that's everybody. Everybody's involved in technology. So I do think that hopefully there is a lot of appeal. Yeah. And I mean, in your book, you mentioned the famed 2003 HBR article on IT doesn't matter and how the tables have turned, right? I mean, now... IT not only is an integral part of really every business, but it's a revenue generator. I mean, there's so much that you can do with data and otherwise nowadays. So way back 22 years ago, 1999, there was this three things going on. There was the Y2K, which people scoff at now, but it was a real problem for a lot of reasons. And then there was this big move to ERP. So all these companies were kind of going away from custom mainframe software to these enterprise products. And then there was the internet and the web and getting on web. So there's this perfect storm of three converging things that made IT, you know, a big challenge for companies, but also very expensive. IT salaries were going up. And I would say around 2001, 2002, there was a backlash. There was kind of a bubble burst on the tech sector, you know, these 100-time valuation companies. And there was the Y2K fizzle, right? It was a non-event. These ERP projects ended up being 2, 3x what people were promising, the big consulting companies. And it wasn't uncommon for a project to be a year late and millions over budget. So I think that Nicholas Carr article really came out in that dark days of, of leading IT with all that baggage. And you know we really had to fight to regain our reputation over the last, what, almost 20 years. Another thing that I really loved was you mentioned to establish a winning leadership approach, you need to become customer obsessed. Reframe the focus on your stakeholders. How does this help external customers? How does this help my business partners? How does this help my employees? We actually productized our customer experience optimization module a little while ago, and it seems like you have a really people-centric approach, which I really appreciate because really... People are what make IT go. Everybody will tell you they put the customer first, but it's not uncommon for people to say to me, what's your cloud strategy? I really push back on that question because I don't have a cloud strategy. What I have is a vitamin shop strategy to grow customers, to bring health and wellness. And yes, absolutely. The cloud's a huge part of that. And it's documented and it's there, but it's not about how many use the cloud. It's about how many sell supplements and vitamins. That's what it's about. And so for years and years and years, people would always have a technology and, and want to find a... I would always joke, right? They're trying to solve a technology problem with business. So whether it's, oh, it's JavaScript or it's whatever, React or it's... Hey, what's your plan for Kubernetes? Well, we're using Kubernetes to deliver vitaminshop.com. But we don't have a Kubernetes plan. We have a plan to make vitaminshop.com portable, scalable, flexible, deployable, that's the plan so that we can engage with our customers, grow what they do. And one of the tools we're bringing is just that. 
you don't ask a you know a builder what is his hammer plan or his screwdriver plan, right? Those are their tools. But it just happens all the time in tech where people will lead with the tech, with their questions, with their comments, or even with their written strategy. We we see that all the time. You really need to draw from that business context to understand how the IT vision and mission truly embody that. You know, a lot of the times when we come into an organization, that's the the gap that we're bridging. And then also tying everything back to the executive vision, making sure they know how IT is empowering that. So let's talk a little bit about your vision for Vitamin Shop. Where are you guys going as an organization? What's your big picture vision for the organization? From our customer's perspective, when we talk about, first of all, it's about education. It's such a confusing field. And I know like coffee's good for you. Coffee's bad for you. Eggs are out, eggs are in. And this supplement or don't take this or and so and there's so much out there and the internet has been a wonderful way to exchange information but there's a lot of misinformation as well so we really are working to demystify our category so between our blog and product knowledge and education expertise is one of the three pillars so we have quality innovation and expertise and we spend a lot of time energy and money training our store employees which we call health enthusiasts so they can help educate the customer we bring all that content into our web properties as well as we run a blog and, and through social. So technology is a big part of making sure, you know, we disperse the education internally and externally. So that's a big part of it. And then as far as actually the commerce part, our mission is to allow our customers to shop where, when, and how they prefer. And so it's not about, you know, how we're going to drive more people to the stores or get more digital. It's really about letting the customers choose. And for most customers, that varies depending on where you are. And what, you know, if you're trying to learn about something, say like I just started a, a weightlifting thing where I'm lifting weights now. So it's good for me to go to the store and talk with an expert about nutrition and what I need to do. And so, but once I find the regimen for me, I can just put it on a subscription. Now, if I need something in a hurry, we have Instacart. If I want to do traditional commerce and have it shipped, you know, and have a package at my door. So it's our goal from the customer to have all of these channels work seamlessly so they're there for them from buy online, pick up in store. Another thing we're doing is we're shipping from our stores. So, you know, Amazon's done a great job with driving speed and expectation. So you buy it today, you want to get it by, you know, tomorrow or the next day. So we're using our store network to do that. We're going to ship or we are shipping from our stores so that we're closer to the customer. Another benefit of that is some sustainability, right? The package isn't traveling as far, it's better for the planet. So when it comes to technology and innovation fulfilling that vision, what are some of the key initiatives that you're focused on right now? Everything from the mundane to the exciting, right? There's the flashy innovation, but even the mundane is how can we buy, sort, process the product more efficiently? So to the flashy, um, in one of our distribution centers, we have robots. And the reason we're using robots is because we did an assessment and found that our employees, our health enthusiasts in the distribution center, were walking on average of four to six miles a day. And so by implementing robots now, the associate can focus on picking and we, we let the robots do the walking. So the robot has four boxes on it. It drives up to a station. It has an iPad. I need two of these. You put in the box, hit the button, and it goes off to the next stations. This is kind of behind the scenes innovation that allows us to pick more efficiently get the product to the stores and the customers more quickly, and then keep our cost down so that we can offer the product at a competitive price. That is very cool. I love stuff like that. I mean, I'm a nerd, but very, very cool. What are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing right now as an organization? 
There's so much to do. I mean, I keep harping back to prioritization. So um, we just need to be careful that we are using our most valuable resource, our people, wisely. So making sure that we pick the right projects to focus on, that we don't take on too many concurrent projects that don't make sense, that we sequence everything. And yeah, that's always been a challenge, but I think it's a really big challenge now because companies are constrained with capital, but also with with resources. And what are what are some of the best practices you follow to kind of to help with this? Yeah, so for me, it's all about having one list. And I have two chapters. I don't know if you got to that yet, but I have two chapters of the book just about making one list. And so everybody wants to have their own list or they'll, they'll have a lot of reasons, but just making sure there's clarity about what number one is in your company. Um, one of the top things we're working on the vitamin shop now is rolling out the capability to drop ship. So dropship will let us sell on vitaminshop.com, but it'll ship from our supplier directly to the customer. And the beauty of this project is it allows us to expand our assortment without adding inventory and allows us to try adjacent products like exercise equipment that maybe don't make sense to keep into in our warehouse. So, but everybody knows that. Everybody knows what number one is. There's a list. It's published. It's published digitally. When we're in the office, we stick it up on the wall. And then we know what number two is and number three. And so... It makes it really, really clear what's important. And if someone comes to us and says, I really, really want to do X, we don't have to say no. It's not fun to say no. We just say, hey, let's put it on the bottom of the list. And then we'll take it to the committee and, and let them decide where, where the sequence is. I love that leadership style. I mean, and I say leadership because, I mean, I've, I've worked with a lot of CIOs that are micromanagers. And, you know, I feel like that really creates a culture of innovation that type of leadership style. So that is a, a great best practice. Let's talk a little bit about the, the future of, of retail. Where do you see the, the retail industry going? What do you think some of the biggest changes will be as time passes? Talk a little bit about that for us. One of the things that I think is pretty exciting is retailers working together. And so I'll give you a couple examples. We now sell our products inside of uh, Kohl's. So we have an assortment of you know, some of our key products. Also at uh, Belk, which is a uh, Southeast department store, we sell a huge assortment of vitamins, vitamin shop vitamins at the U.S. Navy, the Naval Exchange, and uh, great customers. So working together with other retailers, I think is a really, really... You've seen a lot of it outside of even what we're doing, right? You're seeing pop-up stores inside of stores. You see Alta inside of uh, Kohl's and others. So... I really love this, this collaboration, how we can all work together. If it's done well, both companies will benefit as well as the customer. And then uh, you can even start to see us selling our products outside of our four walls at places like Amazon. So you can consider Amazon our competitor in one sense, but we use the AWS cloud very successfully. And we have a marketplace where you can buy our products on Amazon. And if the customer prefers to shop there, just like I said earlier, right? We want them to shop where, when, and how they prefer. Would I rather them shop on vitaminshop.com? Yeah, probably in this example, but I, I want them to shop what works best for them. So when I think about the future for retail, I do think about these mashups, collaborations, and people working together to benefit all the parties involved. So that's one thing. The second, I don't know how you got me into predicting things. That's always risky, David. <laughs> Sustainability, um, just even the broader ESG, right? What are we doing for the environment from packaging? Are we going to move away from plastics? We're, we're trying some things with different materials, recycle, getting rid of shopping bags, provenance, really educating customers about where your stuff's made, the supply chain. Customers, especially of a certain younger generation, really, really care about this stuff. And, and we're thrilled about it because quality is a big part of it. So really understanding all that is, is going to be big. 
And then the social diversity. Diversity is uh, easy for me because diversity just works. You know, we've all been on teams and the more diversity, the more ideas you have and the more successful you are. So I think you have to be intentional about it. But at the same time, everybody benefits from more diversity. And so I think that the adoption is people uh, really start to be intentional about improving their diversity and they're going to see their gains. That's going to be kind of easy. And then the G in, in ESG is governance. In simple terms, about always doing the right thing. And I think public companies really already probably were ahead on that. But really, governance is about everybody playing by the rules and, and doing the right thing. The ESG movement's been a good one. And we're definitely in the tip of the spear for, for that. I love that. Me and a couple of partners are actually working on a software platform right now that is going to measure enterprise organizations' alignment with the UN sustainability goals measure their progress as they make changes based on recommendations that we give and then, you know, be able to share that with the world. And there's going to be a business version and a personal version where, you know, individuals can actually track their alignment. So great to hear that you guys are already on your way with that. It's so important that you're doing that. I'm thrilled to hear it because you don't know if you succeed if you don't have like playing a game or a business, you got to have a KPI and you have to have metrics so that you can see where you are. And everyone is where they are, right? So you start with an assessment. Where are we? It's just a fact. It's not good or bad. It's a fact. And then we can all move the needle and say, let's get better. All right. So I'm going to shift gears for a minute. What was your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? Business, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yes, business. (laughs) Boy, I've got plenty. Um, This story is not in my book, but I was working somewhere and we were rolling out all new cash registers to our huge project, uh, double-digit millions. And along the way, the project got over budget because of some issues with the software. So I, I saved money by buying a cheaper cash register. So a little bit less memory, you know, and so put those out in over a thousand stores, three or four in every store, and it just didn't perform. You hit enter and it sat there. And I delivered my project on budget but it was a failure, right? And so I think that the big message is that on time, on budget, while those are important metrics, they're not the most important metric. The most important metric is the customer satisfaction. So five years until I got the funding to go and pop more memory and add a solid state hard drive, every day, these store people had to suffer through that, you know, and the million dollars or whatever it was I saved seemed like a lot of money at the time. It felt like career limiting, but to make... Thousands of people miserable, for, you know, is uh, certainly a big regret. I should have raised my hand, you know, and been communicating as the project. A project really shouldn't get more than two weeks behind in two weeks, or it shouldn't get more than a week's worth of over budget. You know what I mean? So a lot of times you're thinking, okay, I thought I was being clever. Let me maneuver and, and make this budget. But I should have just brought that forward. And it's possible the company would have chose that route that I took, but I didn't give them the option, right? I took it kind of behind the scenes. and. Thought I saved the project, but I really crushed it. Wow, that's great advice. I mean, and we see that all the time in IT and helping the executive team understand the the implications of decisions like that, and really not thinking of the the short term, really thinking of the mid and long term impact that those decisions could have on the organization. I think is crucial. That's a great piece of advice. What's your favorite book or blog right now? Yeah, I'm reading this book called um, Life 3.0. It's about you know where we're going, and I could run and grab it to get the author name, or maybe you could put it up on there. But it's just a big picture about where humanity's going and artificial intelligence. So 
I love reading these books that really talk about the optimism. You know, a lot of people hear a lot of negativity on the news, but we really have it better than ever. I mean, not that there are a lot of problems, but from a opportunity, capability, and really even how technology, you know, is democratizing around the globe. So definitely when people start talking about and comparing, I mean, what did I read that 150 years ago, even the most wealthy people didn't have a flush toilet? We're talking about rich people, right? And so now the poorest people have a flush toilet, you know, at least in the US. So it's kind of a silly example, but we really do have a lot of, uh, a lot of things to be thankful for. So I like reading about that. As far as like blogs, you know, I'm a, I'm a big LinkedIn person. I, I kind of consider myself LinkedIn famous. So I wouldn't know with a blog, but I just pick up everything I can consume on there, you know, the different articles and points. And I really like these little short articles people will write. What do they call them? Listicles, right? I read like five things you can do to drive digital this morning. You read it in a couple of minutes, you know, share it with the team. I really love consuming LinkedIn content. Yeah. I mean, that consuming content that way is just it's what it is right now. Okay. Uh, so if you could go back five or, or 10 years, what piece of advice would you give your younger self? What is the best thing? I, I had a boss that gave me advice. I didn't believe him at the time, but I just gave it to someone today. And it's uh, when something happens, it's never as bad as it seems and it's never as good as it seems. So he was real big on, you know, give it 24 hours. So just don't sweat the small stuff, I guess, is another way people think about that. But when you hear something... This sounds fabulous. You know, you don't need to stand on the rooftop and shout, like, look how great this is. Just give it, take a beat. And same thing with the bad news. Someone called me today with what uh, she thought was bad news. It's okay, right? It's going to be fine. So, but people get worked up, I think, over small things. And it, I think that'll take, uh, cause some stress, right? Just, you don't need that stress. So just understand there's good and there's bad and it'll all work out. That is great advice. As an entrepreneur, catastrophizing issues is something that I've really had to work on reining in. That is great advice for myself, even in this moment. But that's why I'm a big proponent of meditation and mindfulness. So yeah, whatever it is, right? I like to go ride my bicycle. You can see it back there. And that's where I get rid of my stress. But some people meditate, some people lift weights, whatever works for you. Definitely. That's what I call taking a beat. Just get away, walk away from the situation. And then I guess as you get more experience and you realize that life goes on. That's why I think I can get more of this uh, calm attitude about, about things. That's great. Any last words of wisdom or um, anything else you'd like to share with our, our listeners before we close out today? I think that anyone who uh, either themselves or their children are thinking about a career in tech, I think what a great time. I know some people were kind of worried about it, you know, with things going, you know, offshore. But I talk to people all the time, if you really love supply chain, go into technology because we have supply chain experts. And if you really love marketing, go into technology and work on marketing tech, because marketing really is all about tech right now and merchandising. And so I just really encourage, especially, you know, young women, people of color, really uh, consider tech a career opportunity. There's going to be just so much and it's so fulfilling. And even it's not pigeonholed, what I just said, right? You could take tech in any direction you want. The biggest companies in the world to the smallest startups like yours. Great advice. Andy, thank you so much. For our listeners, again, Andy's recent book, Fostering Innovation, How to Build an Amazing IT Team is out now. Andy, the, is the written copy out now as well? You can buy it on Barnes & Noble or Amazon. It's going to ship on around, well, next Wednesday, March the 9th. Yeah, I'll the date. And I know the digital version is already available because that's where I've been 
reading. It's funny you make a comment about that. I bet you bought this on a computer. You may even be reading it on one. I was reading it on my Kindle. So anyway, thank you again, Andy. I really appreciate you taking the time this morning and have a great rest of the morning. Thank you very much, David. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.